Good morning. A blessed Easter to each one of you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I'd like to begin this morning by reading you a page from a children's book. This is the Apostles' Creed for All God's Children, with words by Ben Myers. Uh, it introduces children to the creed with each clause of the creed on a new page uh, with a simple explanation and then beautifully illustrated by Natasha Kennedy. And I know you can't really see, but you're welcome to come find me later and take a look if you'd like. The page I'm going to read has the fairly daunting task of explaining to children the clause, he descended into hell. I'm not sure how I would have gone about that, but I doubt any of us could have done a whole lot better than Myers and Kennedy have done. The picture shows Christ down in the grave, which looks kind of like a cave under the ground. The rock floor is split open as if Christ's very presence has broken it or cracked it to its core. The floor is scattered with keys and broken locks. It's clear that the power of the grave, the power that held people there, has been destroyed. You can see the doors of the grave too. Christ has trampled them down and they're lying broken on the floor. In this, the image echoes Christian iconography. Iconography is the ancient tradition of Christian art, which tries to show in pictures the truth that the gospel teaches. If you look at an Eastern icon, Eastern Orthodox icon of the resurrection, sometimes called the icon of the harrowing of hell, it usually shows broken locks, shattered chains beneath the feet of Jesus, along with the trampled down doors of the grave to teach us that Christ has broken the power of death. The artist here, Natasha Kennedy, has also put two people, an old woman and an old man. And Christ, Christ is grasping each one by the hand, and he's pulling them up out of their coffins. And if you look closely, you'll notice that the, they're kind of weak, and their hands are limp. It's not like they're leaping up excitedly to meet Jesus. Jesus literally has to pull their lifeless bodies up out of their coffins. This too is drawn from the Eastern tradition's icons. These are Eve and Adam, our first parents, who of course stand for the entire human race. They have been imprisoned by death and by sin, but now Christ has descended to where they lay and he is raising them up again with him. In this picture, Christ's resurrection isn't just a miracle that happened to him. He died, and then how wonderful he rose again from the dead. No, in this picture, the resurrection is something that happens to us too. Through Adam and Eve, it happens to the whole human family. And of course, it is something that will happen to us as well. And here are the words that Ben Myers has written to explain this clause of the creed. He descended to the dead, to children. 
It says this. Where will I go when I die? Where do all the dead go? Who hasn't wondered that? Even small children wonder that. Meyer says, wherever it is, Jesus went there too. He went down as far as we had fallen. He took death's keys to free the captives. He overcame death with his life. He took Eve and Adam, our first parents, by the hand and made them his sister and brother. When I die, Jesus meets me there and takes me by the hand. He is God's strong son, my strong brother. Is anything stronger than death? Yes, Jesus. That's what I believe. This clause from the creed, he descended into hell, and this lovely page of the book by Myers and Kennedy is teaching us what's called the doctrine of the descent, Jesus' descent to the place of the dead, which we confess in our creeds. Properly speaking, this is what we remember on Holy Saturday, the day between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, the day when Jesus was in the grave. What was Jesus doing down there? (laughs) Just taking a little nap? No. He was going down to the lowest place of the dead, trampling down the doors and smashing the locks, taking the human race by the hand and leading them out with him into life. So yes, that is what Jesus was doing in the grave, but Jesus' descent is also a picture of the entire resurrection. This teaching of Jesus' descent to the dead is what the resurrection means, and it is a clear theme in two of our readings this morning. You may have noticed an overlap in our readings this morning. We read Acts 2, Peter's sermon at Pentecost, And in that sermon, Peter quotes from Psalm 16. You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. And then our psalm this morning was that very same psalm, Psalm 16. And so we read those verses again. Taken together, these readings, the psalm and then Peter's use of it in his great Pentecost sermon, make up one of the most important places in Scripture that establish this doctrine of the descent to the dead. Peter is preaching, really, the inaugural sermon of the whole Christian church. Jesus had preached, of course, before, but it's on Pentecost that the Holy Spirit descends and the Christian church is begun, so that in a real sense, this is the first ever sermon. It is the example par excellence of the apostles preaching. What did the apostles preaching sound like? Well, there's no better place to look than Peter's sermon in Acts 2, and it forms the pattern for all Christian preaching ever since. Now, our lectionary reading today does not include Peter's entire sermon, and I'm not going to try to be exhaustive even with the piece of it we do have. I just want to look at one part of it, his use of Psalm 16. Now, Peter takes this psalm to be written by David, the great king of Israel. 
It's a psalm of praise for God's provision and protection for David. Protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge, he says in verse 1. You are my Lord, he says in verse 2. I have no good apart from you. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Because the Lord is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. But the Apostle Peter is especially interested in verses 10 and 11 of the psalm. For you do not give me up to Sheol, or let your faithful one see the pit. You show me the path of life. Sheol is the Hebrew word for the house of the dead. It's the place where dead people go. Peter is going to make an observation here by which he's going to prove to his listeners that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Fellow Israelites, he says in Acts 2, verse 29, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. King David is dead, he says. We all know it. You can still go to his tomb if you want. But in this psalm, David praises the Lord because the Lord does not give him up to Sheol, nor let your faithful one see the pit. David thanks the Lord that the Lord has rescued him from death. Now, in a very narrow sense, the Lord did rescue David from death at various times during his life. And if you know the stories of David's life, you can probably think of some examples of that. So maybe in one sense, David is thanking God for that. But if David is the only subject of the psalm, the psalm is only fulfilled in a weak and kind of anticlimactic sense. Because David is now dead in the grave. God may have rescued him from death, but only temporarily. Death still caught up with David in the end. No, Peter is saying, this psalm must be about something more. Peter says this in Acts 2, verse 30. But he, David, was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. God had promised to David that his descendant would reign on his throne forever. Here was God's promise to David, and it comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, God says to David, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. My love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So Peter connects this promise, this covenant of God to King David to this psalm, Psalm 16. When David says in the psalm, you do not give me up to Sheol, the place where the dead go, or let your faithful one see the pit, he's not just talking about the times God saved him during his own life. Peter says that David is prophesying here about the promised descendant who would rule after him. And that in the spirit, 
David is actually prophesying the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that that son would not be bound by death. Peter says in Acts 2, verse 31, seeing what was to come, he, David, spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. This is St. Peter's great evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here in the first ever Christian sermon, Jesus' resurrection had been foretold, he says, by none other than King David himself in the Psalms. But there's something else here too. In this Psalm, David says, you will not give me up to Sheol. You will not abandon me to the place of the dead. Christ really did die. He did actually go down into the place where the dead are. He descended to the dead. But he did not stay there. Instead, while he was there, he shattered the power of death. He broke down its doors. He smashed its locks and chains. As Peter puts it in Acts 2, verse 24, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Death tried, but it could not overcome Jesus. As Ben Myers put it in the Apostles' Creed book, Jesus overcame death with his life. One afternoon a few months ago, back in January, I was at the Highland Park Public Library doing some work. And my wife, Jenny, had mentioned to me that um, the day before that day, that there was a new memorial set up for the seven people killed at the shooting in Highland Park last 4th of July. There had been a couple of temporary memorials downtown, uh, but they had just put up a new one in the garden between the library and City Hall. So I thought I'd take a little break and go see the new memorial. It was a cold and wet January day, and it was raining a bit as I walked over there. They have plaques set up, one for each of the seven people who were killed. And the plaques have their names and dates and a picture of the person, and then some other words of love and remembrance. And as I read them, I was especially moved by one in particular. It was for Nicholas Toledo, a man from Morelos in central Mexico, who had been visiting family in Highland Park last summer. He was in his late 70s. And his plaque simply has Psalm 27, verses 1 to 3. The verses are in Spanish on the plaque. But here's what they say in English. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom then shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host were encamped against me, yet my heart would not be afraid. And though war rose up against me, 
yet would I put my trust in him. I don't know who chose those verses. I assume it was the family of Mr. Toledo. But what a choice. How can Nicholas Toledo say those verses? How can his family say them? How can they say, whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? How can they say, when the wicked came upon me, they stumbled and fell? How could David say, for you do not give me up to Sheol, or let your faithful one see the pit? Nicholas Toledo is dead. He was murdered senselessly. I don't know where he is buried, but I'm sure if you wanted to go find his grave today, you could find it. David is dead too, as Peter says. And yet by the Spirit, both of these men prophesy from beyond the grave of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so also the resurrection of all of us who trust in him. Without the resurrection, these words are empty and pitiful. And yet in the resurrection, these words are our great hope. Death is all around us today. It lurks around every corner. It's easy to fear it for ourselves, for our loved ones. As our prayer book puts it, in the midst of life, we are in death. For whom can we seek, from whom can we seek help? And yet the verses on Nicholas Toledo's plaque say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? How is it possible that we should not fear death? How is it possible that Nicholas Toledo, of all people, can say this? Because Christ himself has died already, and in his death, he conquered death. We are indeed surrounded by death. It's always been that way. The Bible is very plain and upfront about this. It never pretends otherwise. Psalm 23 says that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I feel it. I know you do too. And yet we fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. How could Christ be with us in the valley of the shadow of death if he had not himself died and how could we have any hope in the face of death if he had not, by his death, already destroyed it? During this holy week just past, our altar guild brought in uh, the wonderful Easter flowers uh, on Thursday evening, just after our Maundy Thursday service. And they put them in the sacristy back, back here to wait to be set out around the altar for Easter morning. 
These are the, the remains of them right here. But when we came into the church for morning prayer on the morning of Good Friday, the smell of those flowers had escaped the sacristy and had filled the whole sanctuary. We commented on it that morning. And if you were here at any of our services on Good Friday, you probably noticed it. They, those flowers were very pungent. Even as we gathered to remember the death of Jesus, the fragrance of Easter was already in the air. In fact, the fragrance of Easter is already present in Jesus' death because it was by his death that Jesus conquered death. And it's in our own deaths and in the death that surrounds us that we find the resurrection life of Jesus. For Jesus promises that when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he will be with us. He went down as far as we had fallen. He overcame death with his life. Is anything stronger than death? Yes, Jesus. That's what I believe. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.